0: All right. Well, good morning again. Welcome to the Springs. Thanks for saying good morning. I need that too. Uh, Again, if you're visiting, thank you for visiting this morning. Uh, My name is Pastor Peter. Well, my name is Peter. Some people call me Pastor Peter. Uh, I serve as the lead pastor here. Uh, And I'm excited to kick off our new five week series uh, entitled, Ready? Overboard. Now, if you know me just a little bit, you know that. I have a, a little bit of a, a tendency to go overboard on pretty much every element of human experience. Um, I like to tell my wife that I, I'm allergic to moderation. Uh, and that's probably why she doesn't let me season the popcorn anymore on our, our home dates. But uh, today we're, in a five, we're starting a five-week series, series in the book of Jonah, a man who quite literally goes overboard but also who God wanted to make overboard by the mercy of God. He wanted to set him on course to go overboard for his kingdom. So if you would join me in chapter one of Jonah, we're gonna jump right into it. We're gonna go through all four chapters today, brief synopsis, just to fly by and look and see the the power and mercy of God that's overboard. So you can open your Bibles to Jonah chapter one, uh, scroll down to verse one. Uh, If you have a paper Bible, it's page 774. Of course, that's a joke, because you'd have to have the exact same version as me. It's it's right before the book of Micah, towards the end, one of the last few prophets in the Old Testament. We're going to be here for five weeks, so make a little mark in it. We're in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 1 through 3 here. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down to it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, as we'll see in the coming weeks, Jonah understood what the Lord was saying, and he did exactly the opposite. Very clearly, it says the city he was going to three times the exact opposite direction. Now here's the thing, what we'll learn in the coming weeks is that Jonah, his attitude, his disposition, his hurts, his pains, his culture was saturated by a certain kind of blindness. That made it to where it was not palatable, not preferential, not possible to go to the Ninevites of all people. You see, because of the blindness of his culture, this thought of even saying anything, even a warning to these people who had done all this evil against his people, this was just out of bounds. And we can say that this was due to a blindness in his culture, but we have many such blindnesses in our culture. That just what God is calling us to do, even ever so clearly, so often, is absolutely the opposite of our cultural and personal dispositions. And sometimes it just absolutely crosses our will. And that's why he flees, he gets in a boat, he goes the opposite direction. We'll see on a map next week that Nineveh was over here and Tarshish is way over here. Away from the presence of the Lord sums it up. So much. How often when God crosses our will, do we choose to go away from the presence of the Lord? Regardless if we know where Tarshish is. Away from the presence of the Lord. That's where he goes. And the Lord didn't like it. He's on a boat en route to the opposite direction of where the Lord told him to go. And God decided to send a storm to eat up that boat. And everyone was fearing for their lives. And they said, what's going on here? Essentially, they cast lots to figure out what's the deal. Why is there a problem here? And finally, Jonah spoke up and says, all right, here, it's me. Uh, God's judging all of us because he's mad at me. They're like, okay, really? Well, what what do we need to do? He says, throw me off the boat and everything will be okay. And that's just what they did. Verse 15 of chapter one. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea and the sea in a minute, in a minute, ceased from its raging. Then the men of the Lord, then the then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Isn't it interesting that the Lord will have His way in the hearts of men, even if He has to use your disobedience for it? He'll have His way. He will vindicate Himself in His own name. So here we have it. Jonah verse sixteen is thrown overboard. Verse seventeen. And the Lord appointed, this phrase, the Lord appointed, will will show up many times in this book. It's very important to know. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, that's not all. Because within the belly of a great fish, a lot of cool things started happening in the heart of Jonah. He began to repent for his attitude to turn from his attitude against the Lord and turn to the mercy and favor of the Lord. In fact, it records a prayer here from inside the belly of the fish. Uh, and I'm going to just skip to the heart of the prayer. Verse 9, I will unpack this prayer a lot more in the coming weeks. But verse 9, it says, But with the voice of thanksgiving, Jonah prays, I will sacrifice to you. See, he's grateful now. He says, What I have vowed, I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord. That that's, will come to be one of the most famous lines of synopsis of the entire Old Testament. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And because of the repentant state of Jonah's heart, he was able to acknowledge that. It doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to our culture. It belongs to the Lord. Now, this is one of the, the great prayers... I, I have no idea. This is the only recorded prayer from inside the belly of a fish that I know about. And yet, year after year, the Guinness Book of World World Records continues to foolishly omit this record. Nonetheless, it says, verse 10, And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. Verse 2 of chapter 3, Jonah is told again, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city, and call out the message that I tell you. Now He had heard this before, right? And God get graciously told him what to do again. How many has that ever been you? God called you to do something. He told you to do it, and you didn't do it, and you suffered some consequences. And then he's like, okay, now do that. You want to know some new things and some, new, some novel ideas? That's great, but start with what I already told you to do. And so Jonah has another chance, and I don't know if it was the, 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 the feeling on his skin of uh, fish gut ash, uh, acid on his, his skin or the smell of fish guts on his clothes, uh, but he just decided, okay, I, I'm going to go ahead and listen to this now. He journeys for days to Nineveh, and he preaches. And it says in verse 5, The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Listen, no one at any time is outside of God's ability to capture them with his mercy. No one. Write it down. Think about people that grieve you. No one is outside of God's power to see the power of his mercy absolutely humble them. It says here, go down to verse 10. When God saw what the Ninevites did, how they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he had to do them, and he did not do it. So the Ninevites are repenting, and even as the Ninevites are repenting, you go to verse 4, and Jonah here is unrepenting. He is changing his mind about having changed his mind. Anyone ever done that? Verse 1, But it displeased Jonah, exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the lord and said oh lord is this not what i said when i was in my country that is why i made haste to get away to tarshish for i knew that you were a gracious god and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster therefore now lord please take my life from me for it is better to me that i should die than live he's pouting leaving himself for dead because he's so angry at these people that he hates. God is having mercy on. He was waiting to see them judged, and God didn't give him what he wanted. And he's sitting here pouting. And essentially, Jonah is really angry that though he was thrown overboard, he humbled himself before God. God, in his mind, is going overboard in his mercy toward these evil, wicked people. And the book pretty much ends here in a moment of Jonah being angry at God and yet God is merciful towards the Ninevites and he's even merciful towards Jonah. It says in verse six here, it says, now the Lord in the middle of Jonah arguing with him and and pouting, it says the Lord God appointed a plant. He's already appointed a fish. He appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head and save him from discomfort. Not only is God not killing him, but he's making plants grow up all supernaturally to give him comfort. How strange is the living God? This is amazing. That's pretty much a synopsis of the whole book of Jonah. Are you ready for a takeaway? Anyone else ready for a takeaway here? Just like Jonah was thrown overboard so that he can encounter the immense mercy of God. I believe that God is causing us to see and savor something that we're not accustomed to, something deeper, more profound, greater, with greater implications about the mercy and power of God, how deep it is, how far reaching it goes, take us out of our comfort zones so that we would go overboard with him on mission. Regardless of whether we're ready for that or not, ready or not, here God comes for all of us. He wants to do things that are way beyond your borders, your comforts, to help people that need so much more than just you. They need the power of God in you and the power of God in them. He's taking us overboard as a church. That's what he's doing in the next five weeks. Now, the next four weeks, we're going to jump in quite literally, to this, these four chapters. The four weeks of February, we're going to jump into these four chapters. Next week, chapter one, we're going to see the, the immense mission of God, the call of God and the urgency of mission. Chapter two, we're going to examine this prayer and a few other things in the context to see that salvation re- does really belong to the Lord, the great salvation of a merciful God. Chapter three, the next week, the, the power of repentance As Jesus says, the greatest sign. In chapter four, we'll see the the sovereignty and the intimate hand of God over creation. It's gonna be a wild adventure to those of us who dare to open our hearts to it and allow God to apply it to our daily living. A few initial thoughts before we launch into that, though. Let's just right away deal with the uh, elephant in the room or or the whale or the great fish, as Jonah says. I mean, the whole, like, okay, so he's, he prays inside of a fish even while he's being transported to where he goes. The, I like to call it the, the prophet fish taxi story. Do we believe that this actually happened? Do I believe that this actually happened? Or, or as some would say, is this a, an anomaly or is this a, or a, a story, an allegory, sorry, an allegory or a parable about other Bible truths? Or do I believe that this is actual history, that this happened? Some would say that, you know, the claim that a man being in the belly of a fish for three days is ridiculous, outrageous, and unscientific. My only point of contention, or at least my main point of contention with that accusation, is that it is all those things and so much more. See, it's not just outrageous, it's impossible It's about as impossible as a man being dead in a grave for three days and then just in a moment on a Sunday morning, all of a sudden, very much not dead. Walking through walls, eating fish and stuff, telling four or five hundred people verifiably stuff to do. And when a dead dude that's not dead anymore tells you stuff to do, you're going to do it. And they did it. And a few hundred years later, he's still giving grace and power, resurrection power for people to do what he said to do because he's alive still. So, was Jonah in the whale? Was Jesus in the grave? Yes, at one point, and then they weren't. It's impossible. It's a miracle. It's history. It happened. Now, if you have trouble or if you can't handle miracles, like this one, you're going to have trouble with the rest of the Bible, but I'll say you're going to have trouble really understanding your own everyday existence. Any less the the parts of science that are so easily suppressed. Like uh, the whole issue of of basics of the origin of physics and stuff like that. Like the whole cosmological issue. Where did everything come from? That's a hard deal to answer without a little bit of stuff outside of our stuff. What, what, how about the basics of certain psychological questions? The the mystery of human existence and consciousness. How is it that any of us are even arguing about these things in the first place? That's a mystery or biology, irreducible complexity of human life. That's a mystery. I mean, go have babies, but get, get married first and you should probably get a, probably get a job and then get married and then have babies. It's an amazing miracle. The point is this is that you have to daily censor your whole disposition to leave out the existence of miracles in your life. And we don't want to just be stupid and verify all things that aren't quite miracles. And admittedly, Jonah and this whole fish taxi incident was a clear break from the type, the category of miracles that are accepted as scientific today, admittedly. But I believe it actually happened in... Actually, the fundamental reason I believe it happened is because Jesus said so. When you read the words of Jesus, then your whole experience of truth and what is real and what is not real is reoriented around his words. And I first knew who I was when, when I saw who Jesus is and who I am to be in light of him. And what he says about whales and anything else is what I accept as true because Jesus said so. You can skip with me if you want. Matthew, I'm going to just briefly go to Matthew 12, verse 38. There was uh, some scribes and Pharisees saying, Teacher, we, we want to see a sign from you. They wanted to see a miracle. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given except the sign of Of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Drawing a correlation to what he considered history with Jonah to what is the greatest point of history the empty grave that he would later leave empty. So Jesus said so, and therefore I believe that this fish thing happened. And you know that I actually believe a lot of other crazy impossibilities that became possible in the past. And you know what? Family, I believe a lot of impossibilities for your future and my, our future. A lot of impossibilities in our future that because of the resurrected Christ are possible. This isn't blind faith. This is a faith that embraces mystery, asks hard questions, and sees something more than what we're accustomed to seeing. It's overboard. It's true. Now, with our time remaining, I want to point out one last thing about Jonah that is extremely simple, but if you grasp the answer to this one question, it'll blow your mind, and it can dynamically transform how you live your life. If you consider one, one question that Charles Spurgeon in his commentary, a dude who was a pretty awesome dude 100 years or so ago, uh, preacher, Charles Spurgeon in, in England, he helped me to see through his commentary the answer to one basic question, and that question is this, who wrote the book of Jonah? Who wrote the book of Jonah? answer to that question is most likely Jonah wrote the book of Jonah. Consider the implications of that. Just what kind of man publishes all of his junk, his nasty attitudes and rebellion and racism for all of history to see and judge him with? What kind of dude just leaves all his stuff out there? answer is a dude who's no longer on the run. A man who's no longer hiding. A man who's utterly set free by the same mercy he was unwilling to give to other people that he received. Secure enough in his Savior to boldly tell of the true hero of his own story, and that is Jesus. Not himself, not the whale, but Jesus, listen to what Spurgeon says. He says, the fact that Jonah, after his willful disobedience and foolish carelessness, I had to look that up, carelessness, um, frustration, annoyance. Uh, Spurgeon Spurgeon was just smarter than us. It might have something to do with the fact that he didn't have a smartphone. Lord, help me. After all of that, his whole disposition against God, he was healed of the diseases of his spirit that, like many a wayward child, he learned to sorrow over his heart and his self-will and come home with a penitent and reproachful heart towards God, the Father. Who of us can doubt He extenuates or leaves out or diminishes nothing. He unveils all the hardness of his heart, all his Jewish exclusiveness, all his murmuring against the Lord. He is relentless in his self-condemnation whilst over against the confession of the lack of his disobedience of charity, he places the record of God's loving kindness and tender mercy. That's the story of Jonah. It's not a story about a whale Or even a guy, hey, go be like Jonah. It's the story of a guy who, in the contrast of knowing what he was supposed to do, did none of it, and yet God was so merciful. How often is that your story and mine? If that's my only story, God, so be it. Because this is a story of God who had mercy on these wicked people in Nineveh, and God who had mercy on a more wicked person who didn't think he was wicked at all, how often thats is, is that us? At my funeral, if the only thing that my kids can say is that there's this amazing mercy of God on my life, and not, listen, not just when I grew up in rebellion to God, and I had a real conversion experience, but the mercy of God after my conversion. The mercy of God when I was doubting him, when when my wife and I couldn't get pregnant and he continued to give us mercy and grace. And not just like the mercy of God before 2016. Like, I, I, I hope that my daughter can say at my funeral, God willing, decades from now, but none of us know, nor do you, that she can say, you know, my daddy had lots of flaws. To, to the day he died, he never quite cleaned them all up but he was so desirous to seek Jesus and to grow in Jesus that he was more passionate about growing in the mercy of Jesus than he was about concealing his very specific needs for growth. I pray that it would be exposed and that the real hero hero of my story would be very clear, and that is Jesus. Instead of deceiving myself into thinking I'm the savior of my life after I got got right with God. No, his mercy... It's what I needed then, it's what I need now, it's what I'll need tomorrow, and I'm stronger than anyone else in their own strength because of that. Please don't dare to challenge that assertion. The mercy of God is what carries us. What about you? What about your reputation and your honor? As I said, Jonah is not just a story about a man trying to do the right thing. It's a story about a great savior as we'll see in the coming weeks, he, Jonah had a, a pretty good reputation. And yet God's helped him to see his ugliness, and he repented, and yet he kept sliding back into ugliness and still had a lot to work out. Anyone else? Anyone else a work in progress like me? Well, if we got Jesus, we're better than any of us could try to be on our own. Remember the comparison Jesus made here in Matthew? He said, the the sign of the prophet Jonah, just as Jonah was three days and three nights. Consider this. Consider the comparison of Jonah. Jonah was willfully disobedient to the word of the Lord, the very clear word of the Lord. And Jesus went overboard in his mercy, overboard by being willful to redeem you and me, to redeem all of us Jonahs, who in our willful disobedience would flee from the presence of God and Jesus came to, make, to be present in our sin. That should blow our minds all the time. Jesus went overboard in his mercy to us, not just a little, a lot. For all of us willfully disobedient people, Jesus was obedient to the plan of the Father by, the, by becoming man, entering our existence. Then it says here in Philippians 2, eight, and being found in the presence, in the form of a man, in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death. Yes, death on a cross. In three days, he was in the belly of a great cave and God made him alive. And because of that, he has the power to make all of us rebellious Jonas alive with God, on mission with God, overboard to tell of the great mercy of God to a world who desperately needs it. Let me tell you a story as I draw to a close of a man about 1,700 years later, about almost 3,000 years after Jonah. A man who received mercy so much like Jonah and so much like we need to receive in the midst of the blindness of our own existence and culture. In 1725 in Britain, the son of a wealthy shipmaster with a lucrative business on the Mediterranean, John Newton learned his father's trade but also rose from the ranks of the Royal Navy himself to eventually captaining his own ships. And like Jonah, Newton had relative stature and success within his culture, which afforded him certain comforts. But those very comforts grieved God The blindness of Britain at the time to the slave trade is something that God saw all along, they didn't see, and God hated. Now, like Jonah, Newton was thrown overboard of sorts, or or almost. He was almost shipwrecked at one point in 1748, just off the coast of Ireland. And he called out to God from the belly of his ship, where it was sinking, and it was taking on water, and right when he called out to a God, he did not know, clearly did not know. He was a... As profane of a man as I was before I knew God, from the best I can tell, he called out to God, and in a moment, the cargo shifted and plugged up the hole in the ship, an outright miracle. And from that point on, Newton began to read his Bible and committed his life to the Lord, and yet, like Jonah, he would waver in his commitment to God, avoiding the implication of God's mercy on his life when applied In the world, lingering for years of the prevailing blindness on the whole issue of slavery. And like Jonah, he later laid himself bare. After having fully given in to the God of mercy, he just published all of his junk before everyone and confessed his sin. A confession that, quote, comes too late. It will always be, he says, a subject of humiliating reflection to me, that I was once an active instrument in a business at which my heart now shudders. By 1755, he gave all in to God and went into ministry. He went overboard in his response to God. He went into ministry, and it was a little bit of a a strange thing, I'm sure, to his family that he left everything behind and became an Anglican priest with really pretty much living out the life of poverty. He lost his eyesight in his later years. And in a moment of irony, he drew a contrast between his physical condition and his spiritual condition, how it was reversed. He, he wrote literally, when he was physically blind, he says, I once was blind, but now I see. And at the end of his life, he helped to mentor a young politician named William Wil- Wilberforce who bravely and courageously led to the abolition of the transatlantic slave trade in 1807. More of this story was captured in 2007 in the movie about Wilberforce and Newton. Named after the same song, that, that, that poem that was later made into a song by John Newton himself, titled Amazing Grace. Would you stand to your feet with me, please? Now, as we close, here's the reality. If you don't know the ugliness of your sin, that you, you are a wretch without God, then His grace will never seem amazing to you. If you don't see the moments of, of rebellion and fleeing from the Word of God, you're not going to rightly see and savor the the overpowering, overboard mercy of God to you. And I want us to see and to savor. Now, maybe you're not ready to just come all with it and and just to publish your issues before everyone like Jonah did and and, uh, Newton did. But listen, are you willing to receive before God right now the mercy that sets you free as it set these men free? If you've never done so, I'm just going to, challenge you even as we're here just to pray to god I'm, today i'm not going to call you up front i'm not, not going to ask you to raise your hand but listen even as we're closing if you pray to god he can hear you now just like he can hear a man in a fish and he can move in response to your faith now if you've if you already have done that maybe your life shows that your life is transformed you know god you're walking with him You need the same mercy that saved you, the same amazing grace to sustain you and to lead you from here on out. Can we celebrate that? Can we think back on the the grace that was amazing then and that's amazing now? Before we close, I want us to sing this, this old hymn together. Can we do that? Sing with me. Lord, help us to reflect.
1: Go deep with the words of this song.
0: You are amazing.
1: Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saves grace t'was grace that taught The hour I first believed. Sing Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved the oh, like me. No, my, my. I was was lost but now am found was blind but now i see
0: would help us in our seeing to relieve us from the blindness that is so pervasive Help us to go overboard in response to what is amazing. The amazing grace that, get, that gives us and makes us right with you is the amazing grace that helps us respond rightly. Jesus, you are the hero
1: of our story. Help us. Amen.